Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Monday the 7th of December. Well, in today's episode of the podcast, I return to the web with an interview with Wendy Tan White, who's one of the UK's best known female entrepreneurs in the web space and, of course, co-founder of Moonfruit. And Moonfruit, one of the longest standing sort of web businesses in the UK, been around since 1999. And what a fantastic roller coaster ride it's been. Emblematic in many ways of how the web startup scene has evolved over the last decade. Highs, lows, massive injections of cash, followed by uh, near collapse and a return to the attic with two people working away on rebuilding the business. But first, I just wanted to let all of you know, if you haven't heard already, that uh, Small Biz Pod is coming up. Well, you'll have deduced it by the number of shows we've recorded, but it will be coming up to episode number 100 in February sometime. And to kind of celebrate, but also to celebrate small businesses, um, I'm going on the road to record four Small Biz Pod Lives, which will form part of episode 100. And they'll be at a series of events where we're going to have a panel of entrepreneurs and a live podcast recording streamed over the internet too. And should be really, really good. Lots of chance for interaction. It's going to be kind of not like those typical panels where you just sit and listen, although there'll be some listening. Um, very much sort of everybody contributing and contributing both to uh, the discussions about small businesses and about how you can thrive in 2010, but also uh, to the episode of the podcast too. So I really, really hope that um, all of you, or well, not all of you, but <laughs> a good significant number of you will see me Um, and come and visit uh, one of these events. They'll be in the evening. Um, If you head to www.smallbizpod.co.uk forward slash thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, you can find all the details there. And we'll be going to Manchester, Bristol, Birmingham and London. Um, So do check that out. Do spread the word as well. If you know entrepreneurs or startups or anyone just thinking about wanting to start up in any of those cities, do spread the word because... be great to see as many people there as we can get um, and have a great discussion, a bit of a party, a bit of a celebration um, and record episode 100 of Small Biz Pod. So it uh, be good to see you there. I uh, just also wanted to say that we have some great books or I have some great books sitting on my desk right now. So if as listeners, as many have done before, want to review one of those books, just drop me an email at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send one out to you and I look forward to your reviews. OK, so now let's go straight into this week's interview. OK, so today on Small Biz Pod, I'm interviewing uh, Wendy Tan White, who is probably one of the, well, she's one of the best known in London anyway, women in tech, which is interesting in its own right. But she also uh, is co-founder of a business, Moonfruit, which is kind of DIY website uh, site which has been around for, in tech terms, a very, very long time. That is 10 years, although in reality, 10 years is a blink of an eye. Um, and her journey and the journey of Moonfruit is uh, a fascinating one. So, uh, Wendy, welcome to Small Biz Pod. Thank you, Alex. Who is Wendy Tan? I mean, where did you come from? I mean, because this is, I mean, the 10 years in tech is such a long time ago, people don't even remember who, you, who where you were when you started. I mean, how, who were, who, who were you when you began it and why did you begin it? Um, I was actually the head of CRM for Egg, which at the time was uh, pretty unusual. And it was probably the first internet bank, I think, worldwide, yeah. actually, at the time. 
Um, and at that point, I'd been in financial services for, um, gosh, maybe five years in the industry, mostly actually originally through consulting. I'd actually been working for a software consultancy called AIT, who specialized in CRM software for banks. Um, and I'd actually been headhunted across to set up Egg by a gentleman called Richard Duval, who was kind of the inspiration behind Egg and the launch director for it. And actually, subsequently, he also set up uh, something called Zopa, a peer-to-peer lending site, mm. which I, he also dragged me in to help set up as well during during my period at Moonfruit. Yeah. Um, and he also actually seeded Moonfruit. Um, but previous to that, I mean, I actually did do a computer science degree at Imperial College, uh, which I graduated in 92. So I always had a love of tech and a tech yeah. background. But I think like a lot of uh, students, particularly in London, you tend to get headhunted, across, you know, milk-rounded across to finance. So I ended up at Arthur Anderson. Yeah. It's kind of got a bit of a grounding in finance there before I ended up in the software consultancy. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the history. And, um, you know, Richard became a very good friend and mentor of mine. And as he pulled me across to Egg, it was a very exciting time. It was very much about startups. Yeah. I think Prudential yeah. Banking at the time did a lot of quite new and innovative things. Um, and actually working in CRM, which is really about customer relationship management, we looked a lot at what was then really emerging was the internet. The internet was really emerging commercially at that point. Um, and one of the things I became very interested in was uh, people and communities, really, mm. really online, and the power of those communities. Um, and also the idea, um, especially because I've been in tech, tech thought had always been quite an expensive thing, and it had a high barrier to entry because you had to understand programming and yeah. infrastructure, etc. And what I wanted to look at was the idea of how could people get online and get an online presence themselves yeah. and share about the passions and things they were interested in. Now, now that doesn't sound so unique. You know, everybody's doing social media. That's really what the heart of social media is. But yeah. 10 years ago, that was relatively new. And it was, you know, it was well before blogging, which is kind of the democratization in some respects of, of the internet. Well, actually, interestingly, that it was blogging, the event of blogging. I mean, two, two things, I think, took Moonfruit over 10 years from being, you know, an exciting new startup that, really didn't, to be honest, we didn't really commercialize very well at the beginning through to something much more successful. And the two things were broadband. The advent of broadband really changed the ability to use much more visual, in our case, flash. We use flash software, which is quite heavy, uh, uh, sort of uh, bandwidth wise. Yeah. So that made a huge difference, the advent of really ubiquitous broadband, UK, US particularly. Mm. And also blogging, because personal, the idea of personal publishing and that yeah. you could actually drive the content online changed for everybody. Yeah. Um, and actually what we found is a natural next step for blogging is to build your own site, especially if you're a business or a small business. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, and so actually we definitely saw a huge increase in growth through the, through the blogging period and then actually through the recession as small businesses came online. So in 1999, there's you, yes. your co-founders. Yes. Did you program it from scratch? How did you, how did you actually get set up? I mean, just technically, what, what was it like? Myself at the time, I actually went to um, a company, a small web design agency at the time called Six Eds, based in Soho. I'd actually used them to build the internet for Egg in the mm-hmm. past. Uh, and the, the one of the co-founders of that business was a gentleman called Joe White, who is actually now my husband, yeah. in context. Um, and ironically, he'd actually been blagging about this company he had to build websites when he came to pitch to us at Egg. Now, what I didn't realize at the time was he was actually still a student at Cambridge doing <laughs> his finals, but he actually won the business from us. Yeah. Um, and after, you know, he, they did a very good job for us. Now, at the time, you know, again, web agencies were quite a new and exciting thing. Um, and But they were very cutting edge, particularly compared to the things we were doing in banks at the mm. time. 
Um, and as um, there was a, another consultant within um, Egg called Tim Parlett, he actually helped me seed Moonfruit, and we did the first prototype with six eds at the time. So they yeah. actually prototyped it. Um, and another friend of mine at the time, Judith Clegg, who actually now runs Glasshouse. Yeah, right? yeah. Yep. yeah. She also seeded the business. So we, really with them, and Tony Short, who was uh, Joe's partner at the time, so we actually built the prototype and actually went to, actually, interestingly, it was Bain Lab had come to see Joe about building their website at the time. Mm-hmm. And Joe had mentioned, oh, there's this small business incubating itself in our attic, actually. That's, so we were incubating it in the attic yeah, at the time. Yeah. And they were like, oh, let's, let's come, let, let us see them. And it was actually them that seeded us with a, a proper angel round of funding, if you like, yeah. at the time. Um, and with that, we actually launched uh, the business in end of 99 beginning of january 2000 too much to, and actually luck, very luckily for us to a bit of a claim i mean i think what happened at the time is the guardian picked us up in a big yeah. piece Vic keegan yeah yeah um and so the day we launched we had a huge spread in g2 which just brought in a lot of people to try and use the product i think actually within the first six months we had something like five hundred thousand people try the product um we also did i think i would look in retrospect stupidly at the time we also did uh, a lot of a bit of television which oh, is very okay. expensive. Yeah. Um, and we actually funded that with, we took a, a major round of funding from uh, what is was the internet arm of LVMH, Louis mm-hmm. Vuitton. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they put a major round of funding in, I mean, five million, we've done quite a lot, of which they encouraged us to use two million of that on television, on which was ridiculous. <laughs> we were way too early yeah. at the time as a product. I, you know, arguably now looking back at it, we were still really at a beta stage. Yeah. Um, but what it did bring in was a lot of people to use the product. Yeah. Um, now all of this is fascinating yeah. because this was this was the this was the first dot com bubble. Exactly. This was when yeah. funding and finance was easy, and this was yes. when valuations and the amount of the amount of money. I mean, five million for a startup now would would keep you going for a decade. No, I mean, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's... Exactly. Well, I think I think the difference in those days were I think people were still using old world marketing forms, for example, yeah. like television, to promote you know, the new online services. I think also people were still at that time banging on about how everything would be ad revenued. Yeah. You know, but if you actually added up all the business plans, I think of all dot coms at the time, you know, there wouldn't have been enough advertising to go around in mm. truth. Um, I think also the costs were higher because I remember in those days, you know, even buying a server in those days is probably, you know, 10 times the price it's today. Yeah. Um, and also I think a lot of it was an experience. You know, we was we'd a lot of them come from corporate backgrounds where we were trying to scale a team much faster than was necessary. I mean, you know, like you said today, we we run the business very profitably um, on you know a third of the number of people we had at the time when we didn't really even have a business. Yeah. yeah? So you know, it was I think it was an experience, and uh, I think I think there was a lot of hype and a lot of belief in things at the time. I mean. I think, interestingly, our main investor at the time, LVMH, were one of the few companies, I think they had a portfolio of about 60, they actually made all their return back on their portfolio. I think they invested 300 million in a portfolio of 60 companies. They made all their money back and more from selling a company called Liberty Surf. It was an ISP at the time, okay. which became Wanadu in France. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, in their eyes, they, they felt quite happy. They made their return. And that's when they closed their fund, actually, at the end of the, when the bubble burst. Um, yeah. Um, and what impact did that bursting bubble have on you? Um, it was very difficult at the time because, I mean, the first thing that happened was obviously our uh, the f- sort of runway, the funding dried up. 
um, we'd got to a point where we had lots of customers, but we hadn't managed to really revenue, you know, create revenue from them with the ad model that yeah. had everybody been putting forward. Yeah. Um, and so we knew we just couldn't sustain the business. Now, interestingly, LVMH at the time closed all their, their portfolio except two companies, one of which was us, and it was another wine company. I can't remember who they are now. I think they're still going. Um, but we'd always had a very transparent relationship with them and they felt that we had a profile and they felt we had real customers. So they actually made a deal with us, which is we took on the liabilities that were remaining with the customers. Um, and for an, you know, quite a small amount, we could buy out the business back. Oh, into the, interesting. Um, and they probably did it because, just because we had the, the very open relationship with them. So they were never surprised by what had happened with us. Yeah. Like we'd always shown it all the way through. And I think they also felt we had a bit of a, a public personality already. Yeah, and they yeah. wanted so they gave us a chance really. So I think that was the thing that really gave us a unique opportunity. Now some would say that was also a bit of a millstone around my neck at the time because <laughs> yeah. you, a lot of my friends moved on. To be honest, at the time, a lot of other dot com founders, a lot of even my personal friends at the time who were working with me, um, and it, it was a bit of a dilemma. It was like, do I carry on and try and scale down to a very tiny fraction of what the company was, and really try and make it work and grow mm. it sustainably? And like a real business, mm, mm, mm. or could I just move on, do something more interesting, different? Um, and also personally, you know, it felt like a bit of a failure. I mean, you know, arguably, I think the first Moonfruit failed, if you like. Mm -hmm. You know, if we'd been in the States, it, it would have been seen as my, my first, you know, entrepreneurial experience. Yeah. Um, whereas I think in the UK, failure isn't deemed quite the same way. It's like, you know, in the States, you almost have to have failed a couple of times before they really invest in you properly because they know you've actually tried it out. It's yeah. not quite the same in the UK. Um, and we had to scale back from a team of 50 back to two of us. So myself and um, actually Eric Pettersson was my best friend from college. He was, he'd done a PhD in physics. He actually came in as our CTO, the biggest business right at the beginning. He and I remained, uh, I even had to sack Joe at the time, who was obviously my husband. <laughs> Uh, he went off to McKinsey for a couple of years to learn some real business skills. Yeah. Um, and I went, me and Eric went back to the attic in Greek Street and, uh -huh. and almost pretty much started again. Really. Yeah. So, I mean, when you say started again, uh, do you actually mean, you know, rebuilding the platform or just rebuilding the business, a business rather than a, a, a website? Yeah. So what we did at the time was we, we basically had to wind down the business um, and then we actually looked at we had to talk to our customers. We explained to them what was going on and we gave them a choice. We said, look, either you're going to have to pay a little bit, a subscription mm. to carry on the service if you like it, yeah. um, or we're just going to have to shut shop. And of the 500,000 kind of free users, mm -hmm. you know, I think at the time something very nominal, like a couple of thousand stayed on and were willing yeah. to pay, but it was enough to keep us going. Yeah. And that was a difficult time, kind of soul searching period of, you know, I think for the next year, Neither of us took a salary out of the business and we just had to dig in and see yeah. what we could do. So it became almost like a background garage project for a period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, we slowly but surely, we started building up the customer base again by word of mouth. And we started bringing in enough to hire freelancers. So we started to hire freelance people to, to actually then redevelop the product. The yeah. problem with the product was heavy and it was really still in a sort of prototype version. So we had to get it to something that really was a really good DIY website. Mm, mm. Um, and... We wanted it to be design-led. So we, we basically just built it up from ground up. And this time, grassroots style, so no investment. Just, yeah, yeah, you just had to yeah. earn money from what it was earning. And you just kept building it up from there. I mean, it's, this is yeah. one of the reasons I, I find yeah. this story yeah. fascinating. Because you go, you kind of, in, your, in this 10 years, you've, yeah. you've kind of been a, a kind of model of every web startup in one business. Well, I think, as I said, it, you know, by, 
in normal, in, 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 and we were very lucky in that we kind of got a second chance at yeah. it. And also the fact that we managed to, to pull ourselves together enough to actually take the second chance. Yeah. And there were times, you know, I, there were times when Eric and I were both like, I, I just can't carry this on. I, mm. You know, it's like, a, I, I don't want to drag this around anymore. I'm tired. <laughs> I want to go and do something else. I want to... Um, but actually, I think we still both believed in it somewhere in our heart of hearts. And what yeah. was interesting is a lot of the freelancers that came back to work for us were the, some of the original team. So, yeah. in fact, our lead design today, Kevin Foster, was one of the original designers on the project. And he was the first freelancer to come back in. And eventually he came back in full time again um, mm. when the business mm. could afford it. Mm. Um, I think Paul Seymour, again, was one of the original developers, just freelance for us part time. And then finally came back in for a period as well. Um, he's actually gone and set up his own cafe now. But uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, I think it was a belief. And then and then I, I think it was good to learn how to run the business properly. Yeah. yeah. Because I think since then, now we've actually come back to being what would be deemed, you know, I think we're a team of uh, 20 in the office here now. Uh, actually running a proper business from the yeah. roots up. Yeah. And I mean, other than your initial seed yeah. funders, yeah. Are, are, you presumably have the, the total equity in the business you and well then no, then what actually happened was we did to that point yeah. and then um with Eric as well and then actually in two thousand and five Lycos tried to buy us actually. Oh, okay. Um and interesting at the time they were looking at subscription products, obviously for their portal. Yeah. Which actually they didn't follow through with subscription, which I think was to their detriment since. But um and that that was run by um a guy called Stefan Ramois in France. Mm -hmm. Well, he actually ran it in the UK, but he was French. Um, and he tried to look at buying Moonfruit. Now, that deal didn't go through, but then what actually happened was he decided he got on very well with Eric and Joe. Now, at this time, I came out to have our children, actually. Yeah. 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 Um, and I also went off to Central St. Martins to do an MA in Future Textiles, which is something I'd always be passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, and But I obviously met Stefan at the time. He actually then had got an opportunity to uh, he knew the founders of uh, Gandhi.net very well in France which is an ethical domain registrar they were sort of set up as an alternative against sort of the American pay pay 40 pound a domain yeah. and take a huge margin yeah. anyway the founders of that also started in 1999 and they'd got sick and tired of the business effectively um, and were but they had a good business um, I think they had 400,000 domains under management at that time um, and they wanted to sell the business and Stefan decided he wanted uh, he wanted movie, but he also wanted the team, as in Eric and Joe, to come in and do the Gandhi Donut with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as especially as we'd had experience of raising finance in the past. So actually, I went to see Julie Mayer of mm -hmm. Ariadne right. Capital, yeah. who'd helped me in the past for other stuff, and uh, through her, we actually raised fourteen million euro from Stevens Inc. It's a big a private American investment bank. Mm -hmm. to buy Gandhi on it and Moonfruit into a group, oh, which is what happened. Yeah, which yeah, is what yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, we're now all directors for both companies in the group. Um, I was still out at this point, so I then came back in in 2008 as marketing director for both, um, and hence Moonfruit's push into the public eye again, yeah. if you like. Because I think yeah. at, at that point we... Eric and Joe and Stefan were concentrating on merging the two businesses because yeah. in Paris there's 35 people in the office there mm -hmm. um, and really tried to look at integrating and, and building the product product up in the background but when I came back in I was really trying to look at pushing the product portfolios forward and into in Moonfruit particularly into a more modern age 
Yeah. You know, we we were a web, web 1.0 company. We yeah. kind of missed the whole 2.0 cycle, <laughs> so almost. Yeah, we were profitable. Our yeah. customers liked us, but... Yeah. And I was actually thinking there's more to... We could do more than this. We yeah. could probably catapult ourselves back into the social media community yeah, play because yeah. that's what we yeah. are, really. Well, I mean, this, and then this is the yeah. sort of... We'll, we'll come on to the whole Twitter escapade in a minute, but there's, there's an interesting... Again, yeah. there's an interesting um, parallel here yeah. within your own business. Yeah. Obviously, you had a good understanding of um, of community... Yes. In the yeah. you know the, when you started and as you went through the early two thousands after the the dot com bubble burst, uh, and obviously then there's a whole the, the web probably only really although there's always been community on the web the, the kind of the new social media social community yes. yeah. allowed by by broadband and, and new technologies um, kind of took off again and I, I guess in sort of two thousand and seven two thousand and eight. Do you see any differences? between how you built a community the first time around and the opportunities for building a community now? I think the two, the, the big thing for me about 2.0 was uh, was the cost of setting up a business were much lower. So tech-wise, it was much more, you know, the, the tools available meant you could get started much quicker, but also it was cheaper to get going. So even in the advent of things like cloud servers or proper yeah. ASPs, et cetera, made all the difference. I think also um, because a lot more people were online, whether it was doing blogging, etc., they were just they were just larger communities online actually doing physical things themselves. And I think um, I think that that just just the volumes of people willing to interact now is much much greater. Yeah. 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 Um, I think also with the advent of things like obviously Facebook and MySpace, I think the it's just become much more um, in in people's you know vision now of what's available and the fact you can contact other people. I think also things become more democratic in a way. I, th- I think there's been a real leveling mm. of communication and knowledge and information that yeah. wasn't there before. Yeah. So I think even in 10 years ago, thinking about even a community play, people were still kind of controlling things in like a walled garden. Mm. You know, it's very mm. much, you know, it's my portal. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, we yeah, control yeah. who partners in our portal, yeah. you know, who yeah. gets to talk to who, what, who does what deals. Yeah. It was all very, you know, it's slightly an old school commercial model on a new platform, whereas today those models have changed, you know. And I mean, so in, in, in the early days, were you, were you about acquiring community? Was it yes. kind of a pretty yeah. much acquire it users? Was. It was much more a, you know, um, let's advertise to customers and bring them in through a channel. Yeah. There wasn't so much the idea of, so, you know, today with ad, things like Advent or Twitter, it's much more about a community engagement. It's a two-way conversation. Yeah. Much more equality about it. You know, people can't just be bought in. They have to sort of believe there's something in it for them, value-wise, mm. other than just they're being, you know, they're being paid for. And people are much more sophisticated about advertising. They know they're being advertised to. Yeah. So they're like, well, fine, but what's in it for me? What am I going to yeah. gain from that too? And also, it, it, it's much more personality to it. You know, if people don't like you, they probably won't play with you. And, mm. and they can, they don't have to. There's yeah, normally yeah. somebody else now around that can do the same thing. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it is much more democratic in a way. Um, and But also, there's kind of more room for everybody. You know, you, diff- there's much more niche groups, different types of people out there. And most people can find somebody they want to play with, if yeah. you like, yeah, I think, yeah. on the space yeah. as well. Yeah. Now, let's finally come to Twitter. <laughs> in many respects, I mean, I, I, I guess you had a kind of um, a super raised profile yes. thanks to Twitter when you launched um, this, uh, this little campaign linked to your 10th birthday. birthday. Yes. Just, just yes. tell us what the campaign was and then we'll come and talk, uh, talk about the hell and heaven that it in, that's pers- ensued. Well, we, partly what had happened is I think coming back into business again, I'd kind of started to use social media just to see what all the fuss was about. 
in on, on all honesty. And um, I kind of got into Twitter and actually got a bit addicted to it. Mm. I, I think a lot of Twitter users would say they have cycles of being addicted to it. Yeah. I think it goes in and out. But I think one thing I really, I was just fascinated about the whole group dynamic, how it works mm. and the whole viral meme nature of it. So the idea was for our 10th birthday, we thought we'd like to give away um, something to to the Twitter base. Yeah, thinking about actually we'd like to try and engage because a lot of our um, users, actually website builders were saying, actually, can we integrate to Twitter? And we just actually launched some tools so they could communicate to their communities through their website to Twitter. Yeah. So we thought actually we should do some campaign around it. So we decided to give away um, 10 MacBook Pros. Now, the reason we did that was our core base, our design, the Spirers, they love anything to do with Apple. Yeah. You know? You know, internally, we like to think of ourselves as a sort of Apple website building. So it was a bit like it fitted for us with our brand, it fitted with what the, our customer target base was. And also, I, Mac, uh, Mac had just brought out, um, Apple had just brought out their new iMac as well. So we thought, okay, what would, they, what would the base really love? Okay, iMacs. And what we wanted to do was also make it creative. So we, the competition was actually tweak creatively about um, Moonfruit and, you know, you'll be put in a draw to win a MacBook Pro. And, and this yeah. was with the, for, yeah. for those who are perhaps yeah. not so familiar yeah. with Twitter, with, this was with a hashtag, which yes. is known, which is like a little, um, little, yeah. the little hash symbol yeah. and then Moonfruit, yeah. um, uh, which kind of is a link through to the meme linked through to all the Twitter yeah. posts on that exactly, subject. Exactly. Yeah. So we put the hashtagging because ideally what you want people to do is when they click on that hashtag, as you said, it aggregates all comments about, yeah. moon, in this case, Moonfruit. So we launched it and on the first couple of hours, we thought, you know, nothing's happening. Now, the thing about these sort of campaigns are we, we are not the first to ever have done it by any means. There have been lots of people that tried it in the past. In fact, there was a company called Squarespace that had quite a lot of success mm. doing mm. it. I think what we tried to do is add a bit, we wanted to add a bit of humor to it, which is where the creativity point came in. We said, you know, tweet creatively and be a bit silly. And what was interesting was the first tweets that came back were all about what is moonfruit anyway? <laughs> what is what, what is a moonfruit? Yeah. And of course, then it, it got a whole load of silly answers like, you know, um, it's one of your five a day, you know, yeah, or yeah. or it's a slightly ruder, you know, it's it's a gay astronaut, <laughs> you know, um, or, you know, it's a apple in the sky. And, you know, so there was lots of lots and lots of silly commentary like that that people were tweeting. And then what happened was um, a couple, clearly because it's a design market that would like the iMac. We started to getting and the iBook. We started getting um, people sending in pictures of, of what a moon fruit looks like, and then what a an Apple moon fruit would look like, and then a MacBook Pro Apple moon fruit, and then <laughs> and then it just got silly. People painting their faces to look like a moon. Yeah. People crocheting moon tweets. People sending in videos and songs about what moon fruit was 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 about. Um, and this was worldwide, mm. and it actually turned our traffic. Our traffic from the U.S. went up by a thousand percent during the campaign. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, now, now the, the where there was also some controversy about it though was um, the thing about the, the hashtag was it started to trend on Twitter. Yeah. And trending being if you're in the top top ten conversations or tweets in in any point in time, you come up on a list that everybody can see that uses Twitter. Um, and we didn't just end up in this. We ended up at the top of this list. Mm. So, of course, then what happens is more and more people look at what it is. So then more and more people are tweeting this tweet about Moonfruit. Um, so we were getting more and more creative entries, but then we were also obviously getting more and more people tweeting about it, which some people then started to say, actually, you're encouraging people to spam other people. Um, and for me, I think 
I, I can see how people feel about that. I think if, if I had a friend who was constantly tweeting me the same tweet over and over mm. again, it would really annoy me. There's no doubt about it. Mm. But I think the thing, of, the beauty of Twitter is meant to be that if you don't like something, you can actually tell somebody. You can say, can you decide to stop doing it or I'm not going to follow you anymore? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So it's the ultimately democratic way of having a conversation. And I think... I think the other thing that was happening was as soon as people realized it was trending, um, spam bots pick up on things like that. They actually try to then follow other people who are talking about moon fruit. Yeah. So I think that was also irritating people. But the thing is, it had gone beyond that. It had already become viral meme, if you like. So it had yeah. gone worldwide and it kept going. Then after three days of being at the top trend, I mean, which is kind of unusual if anybody follows Twitter, um, we disappeared off the trending list. Now, because we have all the tools to track it, we knew we were still probably one of the top trending topics. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that actually Twitter took us off at that point. Yeah. Um, because I mean, and yeah. just for I mean, because yeah. this is this is again interesting because you inevitably yeah. in online communities you're going to yes. get you're going to get the fans who yes, are going to exactly. be who get exactly. thrilled by the idea, and then you get the you know the yeah, the exactly. the other crowd who are saying this is just a cheap marketing trick and I hate it. Yeah. No, we definitely got some some negative press. Um, I think NMA particularly picked up on that. They, they were kind of keeping it as a controversial subject. But saying that, the thing about it is because we were trending, everybody wanted to write something about it. <laughs> That's the other thing to remember. So I think at the time when we started trending, we literally were covered by everybody from the Wall Street Journal to the FT to TechCrunch, Mashable, um, Forbes, you know, you name it. It was it was just incredible. And, and a million other blogs since. Mm. And it's partly because... Like, a, I suppose this is my only thing about Twitter is most people on Twitter are trying to promote something, yeah, whether it's themselves, whether it's their conversations, whatever. Um, and so people want to write about it both controversially and positively to get so that they get their own traffic to some extent. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it's interesting because most of the negative press we had was interesting. It was a lot more in the UK than the US. The US actually didn't rewrite really anything negative about us at all. I think, so what was interesting, I think it's a cultural difference. I think the US on the whole quite liked the idea of anything commercial working and anything succeeding is good. That, that's just mm. how their response is. Mm. It was actually more the UK. It was actually more actually the UK. Um, I don't know, I suppose I call them the Twitterati. It's, mm. all, it's more, almost more some people who are opinion makers rather than people that are actually using it. So I suppose the question would be, I would have to a lot of people, is how many people were really getting spammed by it versus thinking that that was probably what was happening? The impression I got yeah. from looking at it was it was yeah. a bit like the early yeah. days, Twitter and, and hashtags and, yes. and yeah. marketing on Twitter, um, as it were. It, it kind of replicated the feeling that you got in the early days of blogging when yes, people started yes. introducing the idea of maybe I'll put an ad on my blog. And, yes, you know, the hard, the hardcore yeah. uh, were dead against it. It was like, this is not what it's about. It's about democracy. Yes, it's about yes. um, conversations. It's about community. It is not about spamming. And I think, yes. I think probably there were people who thought that basically, yeah, this was a, this was a, a clever campaign, but it was sure. basically spamming Twitter. Right. And if Twitter took it down, yeah. maybe they thought the same thing. Possibly, except for if they'd actually thought we were spamming, they would have actually removed our moon tweet. Which yeah. was yeah, which they didn't. They didn't remove it at all. Yeah. No. So uh, I yeah. mean, I guess yeah. I guess yeah. it's kind of not you doing the spamming. Yeah. Which yeah. we we had never had an intention of spamming. No. In fact, we were intending to have a bit of fun. And actually, you know, a lot of the community had a lot of fun with it. Hence, they produced a lot of creative work. I mean, as, as I think some of the brand, I think Brad Republic said, it was almost like you know how many brands could claim that people would sing about them. Yeah. <laughs> so there were a lot of people that had a lot of fun with it as well. Yeah. 
then, and I think, I know, but I don't deny the fact that I'm pretty sure it must have created some real annoyance out there as well. So, but that was definitely wasn't our intention. No. Um, and I think that we, again, we didn't, as you say, we didn't do the spamming. It was actually people deciding they wanted to do it enough to, to do that. Um, and I think, you know, it's a shame, but I think like everybody on a new platform, we all learn from it, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people have asked us since, would we do the same again? Well, probably not. Yeah. You know, we didn't expect <laughs> it to go quite as crazy. And I think, you know, it's a shame that it caused some controversy. But I, but again, you know, you know, I've been in the internet space a long time. I can remember when the first viral emails went around, never mind blogging. You know, mm-hmm. people, people either loved it or they hated that. Yeah. And like all things, if it gets, if you see, it's a bit about how, Good it is. I mean, in some ways, again, it's a meme is ultimately democratic. If less, if people don't like it enough, they kill it. I think that's yeah. the other thing. And it, you see it today, you know, with viral emails. People, a lot of people like the T-Mobile uh, crowdsourcing ads that go around, right? So they get passed around. Yeah. But they're clearly commercial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas you know, people don't want to pass around ads about Viagra because they're not particularly funny and not particularly interesting. Yeah. So I think a lot of it's about getting the fine line between being creative and commercial. And just being blatantly commercial, and I think, like you said, because we were pushing the, but we were pushing the boundaries of what yeah. can be done on Twitter and what can be commercially done on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit, I actually think personally that I think Twitter wouldn't have taken us off because actually they walk a fine line themselves between because they need to commercialize too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm pretty sure they must be considering. Okay, well that worked actually for these guys. <laughs> Could you do something that would stop annoying a core community who necessarily maybe don't want to see anything commercial and maybe you commercialize hashtags or you commercialize certain campaigns mm. and all fair, fair is due to them. I mean, it's partly why I don't know you could probably do the same campaign as this again. Now, interestingly, a lot of people actually copied us after the event as well, including yeah. including Dell, yeah. who gave away 10 netbooks, including Bing, who were giving away, I think, $500 worth of their retail cards, I think. Even TechCrunch did a TechCrunch 50 giveaway the same way. So there was actually a lot of people that tried to do the same afterwards. And, you know, they all work to some degree. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, we just hit something by accident at that particular point in time, yeah. I think would be my summary of it. One, I mean, obviously, yeah. if, in terms of small businesses, there's a lot of businesses out there who want to, to, to use social media. Um, and... But it's not something to go into naively, no, is it? No, it's not. Um, mean, what, yeah. what advice? I mean, obviously, you had you had the yes. the, the negativity there. Yes. How do you how do you deal with it, and how do you guard against it, and how do you address it when it happens, or do you just not address it? I think you've got to be kind of grown up about it because I like I think like all as a small business, mostly if you're going to do marketing campaigns, you have to be a little bit audacious somewhere along the line because anything average is not going to work out there unless you pay a lot of money. And the problem with that is you take risks, therefore. So in our case, um, as much as we got a lot of negative press, we got an awful lot of positive. And, you know, we still have 26,000 followers today on Moonfruit. Um, and it did impact our bottom line. You know, our revenues are up 20%. So it had a real impact for us that was positive for our business as well. And I think you just have to you have to, to be accountable up front and be okay with however way it works. You know, yeah. take the good and the bad and understand that. I think... You also think about social media, it works in real time as well. So you can't, it's not like a traditional campaign where you try and run one and then it kind of comes out in a couple of months time and you see what the results are. It changes daily and in the, in the real time. Yeah. So, because one of the things we tried to do when we realized it was that we were getting the positive and the negative, we tried to reward the creativity rather than the spamming. Um, so we basically tried to say to people, look, you know, if you do creative stuff, then, you know, 
I think we also said we'd give people a, an iPod Touch for the best creative yeah. entries yeah. Yeah, to try to dampen it down, yeah. dampen the spam down and increase the creativity. But somebody senior enough in a business has got to be on top of that to do that. Yeah. And the other thing about social media is it's 24 hours because, you know, yeah. as soon as UK goes to bed, the US is up. So you've got to stay on top of it. And we hadn't expected that at that time, <laughs> um, which is something we know now. <laughs> Yeah. So you were frazzled yeah. by the end of all yeah, this. We were, we were frazzled. And I think the other thing we've actually learned about it is, you know, getting an audience and buzz is one thing, but then what do you do with, you know, like I said, we have these 26,000 followers. Now it's really about engaging them and talking to them and actually finding out what they really want. Um, and uh, that's in a way more important for our long-term business than yeah. the buzz and the awareness and blah. But people say, you know, do I regret it? And it's a bit like, it's difficult. You know, we could not have paid for the awareness that mm. we got in the end all the followers, all the um, people that now use Moonfruit. So it's a bit it's a bit of a double-edged sword, really. It's It was painful, but it was a lot of fun as well. And yeah. and actually, now we're through that, we're more interested in looking at how we improve our products and engage our followers and, uh, in a way that actually they enjoy, yeah. I think. Um, would I like to not piss off the Twitter art again? Absolutely. But <laughs> will I again? I don't know. I, I don't know. I you know, I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years now, I suspect that is the nature of being one. Sometimes you will push yeah. the boundaries. Um, but but would I do a Twitter campaign exactly like this again? Well, no, not exactly like this again, yeah. I think. Okay, Wendy, that's been a fascinating conversation. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Well, there we are. Lots to think about from that interview with Wendy, I think. And uh, one of the most inspiring things, I think, is just the, the her and uh, Moonfruit's sheer persistence and determination uh, to get through the highs and lows and a, a, a lesson for all of us budding entrepreneurs out there, I think. Now, uh, don't forget, head over to smallbizpod.co.uk forward slash thrive if you are an entrepreneur, a startup, or even just thinking about it and are based in Manchester, Bristol, Birmingham or London or anywhere nearby. would love to see you in February. All the dates and details are there. And now just for this week's music and uh, I just feel in a hip-hop mood. So... Here we have a track called What by a Canadian hip-hop artist called Mantis.
track in effect and blast for rep. Big driver Heineken's right after the set. Type of ish that you rap cats have to respect. And if you're not digging this, then you have to be dead. Nervous when I first stepped on the scene. Now I'm sick and the booth is my quarantine. Let your aura gleam and yell if you's able. These two dudes choose to be felt like pool tables as a child taught sense over fashionable. So I make practical absolute styles. One of my attributes, miles above you average dudes. While I don't have to shoot. And if you doubt it, hit repeat and you can have the proof. It's real tight. Yeah, MCs running like failed mice. We make the people freeze, similar to chilled ice. That's ill, right? Justice holding the real mic. And my man, man, just holds that it's still life. In every city, every town going. Steady rocking on the ground saying, We really put it down. can suffer no more. 